Arrow 42 X-Files Retrospective Podcast. I'm your host, Blaine Dowler. This week we discuss The Host. Welcome to the latest episode of the X-Files Retrospective Podcast, released through Bureau 42. I'm your host, Blaine Dowler. Speaking of hosts, this week we're looking at The Host, the second episode of the second season of The X-Files. In our previous podcast, I was remiss in mentioning the locations and ratings of the episodes, so we will catch up on that now. Little Green Man originally aired September 16th, 1994. The average IMDb user rating is 8.1, and the action primarily takes place in Puerto Rico. This week, when we're dealing with the host, it actually has a slightly higher IMDb user rating of 8.2 out of 10. The episode was originally broadcast on September 23rd, 1994, and most of the action takes place in New Jersey. This episode was written by Chris Carter in the form of a challenge from Glenn Morgan and James Wong. They had actually challenged him to write just a straight-up monster story, so not the ongoing mythology, not the alien conspiracy, just straight-up monster horror. So it was written by Chris Carter and directed by Daniel Sackheim. And we're getting a lot of the common elements to the series that were somewhat missing from Little Green Men. Little Green Man was very serious moving it forward. We didn't get a lot of Mulder's dry wit. We didn't get a lot of the customary banter between Mulder and Scully. That may be a side effect of having been adapted from a script that was originally meant to be a standalone, written by Glenn Morgan. But for whatever the reason, a lot of that is back here, especially the banter between Mulder and Scully and Mulder's wit. So the teaser is back to the traditional teaser where there's no sign of Mulder and Scully at all. In this case, the teaser takes place on a Russian ship out at sea and a member of its crew is attacked by something unknown. Now that something unknown turns out to be a giant fluke worm that has primate physiology as well, although we don't learn that for a while. All we know is he's attacked, they flush the tanks, or they order the tanks flushed, that's the last we see of that cruiser. The episode then picks up with Mulder back on his surveillance assignment that he was stuck in at the end of the previous episode, only in this case he's being pulled off that assignment at the request of Assistant Director Skinner. So last time Skinner was moving closer to an ally relationship, we don't know if he's an ally yet, so again Mulder's a little bit confused. And he finds this rotting body in a New Jersey sewer, assumes it's a mob dump, and just leaves, goes to Skinner to express his displeasure, and ends up walking in in the middle of a meeting, chewing them out. There is another attack, this time on a workman. Now a lot of people might recognize this workman. The actor's name is Matthew Bennett. He's probably best known to Bureau 42 readers as Aaron Dogal from Battlestar Galactica. So he was the politician type Cylon that was revealed in that original miniseries. In terms of the production and the visual effects and the makeup effects, we're getting the same tone that we had before, but we do have a slightly larger budget in this second season. So we still have a lot of what they call low-key lighting. Now the term low-key lighting may be counterintuitive to a lot of people who don't have a lot of familiarity with the sets and lighting and that sort of thing on TV shows and movies. You think low-key lighting is a style of lighting that doesn't lend itself to standing out. What it actually is, is it means that the key light is turned very low. The key light is one that's pointing in the same direction as the camera and is roughly in the same position as the camera. So high key lighting is common in comedies, especially sitcoms, where you can see no shadows, and that's because the camera is basically parked right on top of a bright light source. Film noir was the first genre that really played with what they called low-key lighting. Now, I'm sure the German expressionist filmmakers would have loved to use low-key lighting. Their film stock didn't allow it. They needed to have bright lighting just to film. 
So they would end up doing things like painting the shadows onto the set to give the impression of shadows, even though there was no shadows there. Film Noir, which really started with M in 1931, directed by Fritz Long, actually turned the key lighting down, which gave you sharp contrast and sharp shadows. We see a lot of that in nighttime scenes here, especially when Muller and Scully are meeting on the park benches. This is where you get one side of either actor's face brightly lit and very sharp and very well-defined shadows coming off their noses and other features. It has become a staple of the X-Files, and it's in place already at this stage. Now, we also mentioned in Season 1 that the entire makeup and visual effects team had a grand total of three people. That has been stepped up a little bit. Tony Landala was in charge of the special makeup effects, which we see here in great quantity. And at this point, he did have a four-man team, including himself, although he was still primarily working out of his basement. And they needed this makeup for the fluke man, as they call it. So this thing that was attacking the workers in the sewers and attacking the man on the ship is basically a giant fluke worm with some primate physiology. Now the man under that makeup is Darren Morgan. It's his first association with the X-Files, although his brother Glenn Morgan is the Morgan of the Morgan One writing team that has written a lot of episodes to this point. This is far from Darren Morgan's last association with the X-Files, although Darren Morgan actually didn't enjoy the X-Files. It was not really his type of show, even though he will eventually play another role in season four and write a lot of episodes. But that general dislike for the show that the X-Files was before he took over also means that he's one of the writers that drove it in new directions that really helped define the show in the long term. As we saw last time, Mulder's personal life was going into a bit of a downward spiral. This time he's even questioning whether or not he wants to continue with the Bureau, whereas last time he was questioning Samantha's abduction. We do get a little bit of a push for him to stay in the Bureau in the form of someone that hasn't been named yet. He's just a friend they have in the FBI. He will eventually be known as Mr. X, so that's what we're going to call him here. Now, at this point, he's a voice on the other end of the phone and a suit sleeve. He's actually played by Stephen Williams. Now, Stephen Williams was a fairly well-known actor. He'd been in 21 Jump Street, L.A. Heat, The Blues Brothers, Twilight Zone the movie, and a number of other fairly high-profile projects, although L.A. Heat didn't come until later. Now, he hadn't had work for a while, so he was actually pretty much ready to give up on his acting career. Uh, he got pulled in to the cast because he happened to be Gillian Anderson's landlord at the time. So he is Mulder's new informant and his new friend within the FBI, although we'll eventually see he may not even be quite as friendly as Deep Throat. All we know is now there's someone there, and that is enough to push Mulder to stay in the FBI. Now, we do get a lot of great moments here, especially the aforementioned banter between Mulder and Scully. So, for example, when Mulder's frustrated with his assignment and says, you know, I'm warning you, I'm feeling violent tendencies, Scully's response is, well, I'm armed, so I'll take my chances. And she actually gives the same I'll take my chances line at the end when she's sitting next to him when he warns her he smells of sewer. We also get a nice scene between Mulder and Skinner where Skinner says we all take orders from someone. Skinner has essentially admitted at this point that, yeah, the X-Files should still be in operation and that would be the best team to deal with this particular issue. So again, giving Mulder that hope that he needs to keep going. Now, David Duchovny has also said that Chris Carter wasn't satisfied just scaring the crap out of you. He also wanted to have a message and convey something. And that often works pretty well. In this episode, it comes across as, I think, a little bit heavy-handed. There's a conversation at the end where we find out that this fluke man is not a product of nature. It's a product of the radiation coming out of Chernobyl and what we're doing to the environment. As Scully says, nature didn't create this thing, Mulder. We did. And that's 
a little less subtle than we're used to, and it is a pretty big leap from the evidence that they have to the conclusion that they've drawn, especially with technology from 1994. So we can see that tendency that Chris Carter has, and he is trying to make a difference. He is trying to send messages across. But you know what? Some stories are best if they don't have messages. Sometimes you just want to back down. To put it in Star Trek terms, sometimes you get the city on the edge of forever. Sometimes you just want to have a good action romp like the J.J. Abrams film. In any event, that wraps up our discussion of The Host. Please join us in two weeks when we discuss Blood. Thank you. Intro and outro music is by Lastwell, created under the Creative Commons license. All other content, copyright 2014, Bureau 42. Please feel free to send any comments and feedback to bureau42podcasts at gmail.com or leave us a review on iTunes.